We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome back, Chargers fans, to the Guiltiest Charged podcast. Today, we're talking about undrafted free agents, as well as discussing an interview that Stephen had with the OC Register's Gilbert Manzano. Joining me, as always, to talk about those things are Jason and Stephen. Now, Jason, we didn't get to record and talk face-to-face last time about the NFL draft and the Chargers picks. I know we've discussed a little bit in Messenger and whatnot. A lot of things, a lot of questions before the draft, a lot of questions were answered during the draft, and a lot of questions after the draft. Um, so there's one thing I really wanted to ask you, um, just because I'm a little bit curious. What do you think of season eight of Game of Thrones? <laughs> no, um, uh, season eight of Game of Thrones. Um, oh, my gosh. If I could put it into words, it was the Justin Herbert of Game of Thrones. <laughs> Come on. I'm joking, guys. I'm joking. All right. Well, how are you guys doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good now. That was a good one, Tyler. I'll give you, give you. I was there. good until you mentioned season eight of Game of Thrones. <laughs> now it's now I'm bad. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about those undrafted free agents. Jason was not here last time because he was busy compiling this entire list for us, putting everything from their height, their weight, to their school games, touches, yards, touchdowns, and whatnot. All these things we need to know about these guys. We have a list here. There are 19 of them. We're probably going to go over, I don't know, half of them. Some of these guys, you watch them, you know they're not going to make it. But some of these guys are really, really intriguing. A couple of position battles from these undrafted free agents as well. Uh, so let's get into it. Uh, the first one I'd like to bring up, and a position battle probably going to see during training camp, is between Edge Joe Gaziano from Northwestern and Jesse Lemonnier 
from Liberty. Now, right. Gaziano, yeah, Lemonnier. It's pretty Lemonier. good. Lemonnier. <laughs> Can you say it like you're French? Inspector Jacques Rousseau. Anyway, <laughs> I would like to buy the hamburger. All right, let's move on. Joe, so dude, Joe Gaziano is all of 6'4", 275, has 16 and a half sacks, 93 tackles, and six forced fumbles. His past two seasons at Northwestern. I like him. High motor guy. You know, one of the things you guys always, not you guys, when it's a defensive lineman, there are two kinds of plays people point out. One, well, it's against the run of the pass, maybe like a sack or whatever. Or two, it's the play where the running back gets by him and the guy's hustling 10 yards downfield to make the tackle. That's the other play that everyone likes to show. And Gaziano's got a couple of those. Mm-hmm. I think he's pretty equally good against the run of the pass. Um, I think he's very aware, and that's something you don't just see in the plays he tries to make. He's also on fumble recoveries, I noticed. Yeah. When the, f- when the ball pops out, he's the first one to turn his head and, and go get it. Like There's a certain awareness and smarts there that I really like. So uh, let's start with him. What do you guys think of him? Yeah, he was a lot of fun to watch just because he is such a high motor, like you mentioned. Um, and really, it's hard to ignore that production. And you mentioned the 16 and a half sacks. And you know, he had 30 for his career. He's the leader in Northwestern history. And it shows up on tape. He is a relentless pass rusher. He doesn't have as... You know, he's not a spin move kind of guy. He's not a speed rusher, but he's mostly going to win with power. And he does have a good rip and counter move that he can do. Uh, He's also really good at stripping the ball. He's a master of the strip sack, which is so important as an edge rusher. Um, I think you can do a lot of versatile things with him. I think because he's so strong and if he add some weight, he could move into like the three technique role. And, you know, there are a lot of options with Joe Gaziano that are really intriguing. And honestly... I think he has such a good chance of making the roster because he's got a position battle, like you mentioned, with Lemonier, but also with Isaac Rochelle. And I know that they signed him to a tender, but they need more depth out behind Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram. And if Joe Gaziano is an upgrade over Isaac Rochelle, then I'm all about it. And, you know, he's productive, he's powerful, and he's got a high motor, and I really liked watching his film. I wouldn't be surprised if both Joe Gaziano and Jesse Lemonier uh made the roster uh but just speaking of Gaziano you know he's I have it in my notes here he is very aware of the play that is transpiring always a step ahead of the offense so you can tell he pays attention in the film room because there were just certain packages the offense would come out in this these certain formations and before the play even started he would like shift his feet differently and then he would just kind of stand his ground and he wouldn't leave his gap and he would just wait until the runner made a decision, and then he would react based on that decision. So he already knew it was coming, and it was just it was really good to see a player that really reacted that way. You could tell that he knew what he was doing. Um, he has a mean bull rush, especially when he wins with his hand placement initially. So if he gets that hand placement inside of the offender's hands, like it's over. And there's some there's some guys where even then they'll need a counter to kind of adjust based on what they've done but with Gaziano it's just boom it's over and it's really powerful uh he has some pretty quick hands considering his play style I just mentioned how he's a how he's a bull rusher primarily he still has some really quick hands he's able to shed really well and um I think the reason those hands are so quick is because he knows his plan of attack he knows what he wants to do and we've already talked about him being aware and so I think that plays a hand in it um he shows some plays off the edge uh, with an exterior pass rush, but he loses his balance often when he tries to bend, when he tries to keep that line to the quarterback straight uh, instead of curving it. That's what you would call bend. It's a little basic term. Um, 
that's he loses his balance, right? It kind of yeah. it looks like he's a little top heavy almost. Um, speaking of Ben, he shows it, but as mentioned before, he loses his balance often. He needs to learn to tame it. He needs to learn to control it a little bit, which he can do. Um, it just takes a little more getting more comfortable every single play. Once you hit a rhythm and you get more comfortable, that's an easier thing to do. Um, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but I found it was more of a confidence thing. Uh, hmm. So he's quick to adjust how he's attacking a play, and he does it with authority. Uh, the tackle is always going to conform to what Gaziano allows him to do. So if he if he wants the tackle to go outside, the tackle's going to go outside. It's really interesting to watch just how he plays the offensive tackles. It's like a mind game. And he does it plays in advance, too. We always talk about how Keenan Allen just sets defenders up throughout the entire game. Gaziano kind of does the same thing. It's really interesting to watch. It's advanced for um, how much attention he didn't get going into the draft. You'd think he would be a little more raw. Uh, and he's not. He has some, he has some nuances to his game. Uh, consistently fights through double teams. Occasionally, he will end up on the ground just because he loses his balance, tries to shoot the gap a little too hard. Uh, but for the most part, he handles it, and he he won't give his he won't give up his gap despite being in a double team situation. Uh, in my opinion, this shouldn't have been a UDFA. He's a fifth round talent yeah. at worst. Mm-hmm. Um, you're talking about what's his name, Derek Tuska out of NDSU. He went. I like Joe Gaziano more than him. I think he probably should have been around the fifth round, yeah. maybe fourth round. There were quite a few edge rushers that were really surprising. There was, um, I forget his name, it was like Derek Danny or something like that. But Joe Gaziano definitely could have been drafted. And like I mentioned, you know, he's not the best athlete, but his production is really hard to ignore. And sometimes, you know, you just got to look at the production and take a chance. And you know, I think this is one of those situations. I could see him kind of bulking up. And, you know, the player that I, I am wanting the Chargers to bring back is Damian Square. Because Damian Square can do a lot of different things from the three technique and from the edge. And Joe Gaziano could do some very similar things there. There's a lot of versatility with Joe Gaziano. It's interesting you mentioned that both guys might make the roster. I mean, last year was the opposite, where both guys didn't make the roster, I believe. Right. And I know that was partially because of of, uh, Derwin James getting hurt, and they had to bring on Roderick Teamer. Do you remember who else made the roster from an undrafted free agent? Pope? Uh, Chris Peace did at first, right? Pope was oh Pope, he did Pope's been around a while he's been like in the NFL for like four or five years yeah uh, I know Chris Peace made the roster initially and then they mm-hmm. cut him to make room for something I don't remember yeah. what it was um, so yeah I think just these two guys are much more skilled than what the Chargers had last year I think they had um, Anthony Lanier I believe his name was and yeah. then Chris Peace and I didn't like that I didn't like either of those two too much I like Chris Peace is explosiveness and mm-hmm. if you want to compare explosiveness to like say Lemonier, Lemonier's explosiveness is way better than what Chris Peace offers um and Lemonier also has a lot of counters to go with it and I just the the similarity between Gaziano and Lemonier is they're both various smart players and it pops it pops a lot on tape when you're watching and you have to think that's maybe what the Chargers were looking for and these two edge guys is get a developmental guy that's just going to soak up information um, from Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. But yeah, as you as you mentioned, Tyler, I did say that I would not be surprised if both of these guys made the roster because the edge situation behind Ingram and Bosa, outside of Enmosu, who is technically still that Sam backer, they like to switch between right. Sam and um, what do they call it, the Leo position um, or Otto? I don't remember which one they call it. Um, and so I think they definitely need the depth back there at, at the edge rusher position. And I just don't believe 
that Rochelle is it, especially when you look at his production last yeah. year and even on tape last year. I can't remember who said, but I believe somebody told me to go back and watch tape and don't look too much at the production with, with Rochelle, and I wish I didn't because it was really bad. Um, <laughs> it was just he kind of stood there, and he didn't really have a lot of moves to offer, and he didn't. You saw in 2018 how he kind of pressured. He was able to put pressure on the quarterback, or he was able to get interior pressure. Uh, he was versatile. I didn't see it in 20. I think he regressed in a big way. Yeah, he did. And Lemon, yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned it, Trinidad and Wesley. That's what I wrote down is I could see him doing like a hybrid role because he's athletic and his get off is incredible. Um, I did see him. I watched his game against BYU and Virginia specifically, who have, you know, bigger, stronger tackles. And he kind of struggles with in those situations where he has to get past a powerful offensive lineman. He doesn't have as many counters. Um, but that's definitely stuff that you can work on. Some technique refinement is definitely possible in the NFL. Um, athletically, though, you know, he's impressive in his get-off. You know, Tyler tweeted that uh, video of his get-off with the, the Waterboy background music, which is a nice touch. Um, he's just an athlete, and he's a speed rusher. And the Chargers don't really have a guy that's just purely a speed rusher. So it would be really interesting to add that into the mix. All right, let's move on to the next position battle that I'm not really sure is going to be a battle, but we'll see. They've got two guys. I think they actually have three guys, but I'm only considering these two guys. That'd be Bobby Holly out of Louisiana Tech and Gabe Neighbors out of Florida State. Bob, yeah, pretty <laughs> much. Well, okay, let's talk about Gabe Neighbors first because I think everyone knows, I think all of Chargers Twitter knows that Bobby Holly's legit now. So let's talk about Gabe Neighbors from Florida State. He got 15 catches for 221 yards in 2019, 6'3", 243. I think he's a little more versatile, I guess, but I wrote here, Joe Reed could do his job. Honestly, like if you have a guy in the back who can line up run a route, whatever, be kind of a versatile-looking guy, the stuff they want to do, maybe with Gabe Neighbors that he maybe done at Florida State. I, just Joe Reed could do that. Whereas Bobby Holly, I don't think there's a guy on the roster that can do Bobby Holly's job. So what do you guys think of Neighbors? And then what do you guys think of Bobby Holly? So Gabe Neighbors would definitely be more of like a receiving fullback. You know, I think Bobby Holly can do that. And, you know, he has shown enough fluidity where I'm confident that he would be able to do that. But Neighbors would be almost exclusively a receiving back. Like, I saw him block, and he's a willing blocker. That's what I wrote down for him. He's a willing blocker. He's just not very good at it. Um, he's a little more fluid as a route runner than Bobby Holly is. You know, he's got uh, soft hands. And the difference between the two, I think, would be that he's experienced on punt and kickoff. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of Bobby Holly playing on those in those situations on special teams. So that could maybe give Neighbors an edge. You know, we've seen how much of an emphasis this team is putting on special teams recently. But Bobby Holly, man, <laughs> he blocks better than a lot of linemen that I evaluated. Like, he is just tenacious and relentless at the point of attack, and he just dishes out pancakes like he's IHOP. So it's just <laughs> <laughs> it's just, an, it's just really impressive to watch him block, and he, you know, he does things that a traditional fullback can and should do. So... If you're going to bring a fullback on, like the best thing that a fullback can do is block, and that's what Bobby Holly does best. So, honestly, if you want a fullback, it should be Bobby Holly, like no doubt in my mind. Neighbors would be okay. Like, it's okay, but if you're going from Derek Watt to Gabe Neighbors, that's a big step down. Whereas Bobby Holly can do so many different things. Blocking, you know, he lined up at the H back, he lined up in a traditional I formation a bunch of times, and he's a really good runner. So, if you want versatility and you want an elite trait from someone that's a UDFA, which is blocking, then take Bobby Holly. Like, no doubt in my mind, sign him. Well, they already signed him, but 
you know, make him make the roster right now, and I'm I'm cool with it. Also, can't forget about Darius Bradwell, who supposedly is going to be getting a fullback opportunity. Um, yeah, that, that's an interesting supposedly. one. Supposedly, for Gabe Neighbors, and I wrote this down. I said, "Ah, oh, man, I should have watched him before I watched Bobby Hawley." <laughs> <laughs> um, so as a as a blocking tight end, I can get behind Gabe Neighbors maybe getting in front of Virgil Green on the roster as a blocking tight end. As a fullback, no. As a as a receiving tight end, no. As a receiving tight end, he shows just enough to be somewhat acceptable. He's a smart player. He finds gaps in the defense. Uh, but in terms of route running, he fails to drop his hips on route or show really any receiving nuances in his game. And I don't think his hands are overly reliable. So, again, as a blocking tight end, I kind of see it. But Bobby Holly. So, there's something to take note of here. And it's the first thing that pops to me when I was watching Holly's film. They ran a lot of pistol. Yeah, they did. And the Chargers have said a few times this offseason that they are going to be running a lot of pistol in preparation for both Tyrod Taylor and Justin Herbert. So this just seems like way more of a fit here. And another thing that I noticed about Bobby Holly is he works his best at, at or on the wing. I question whether or not he should actually replace Virgil Green's role on the offense Hmm. rather than Derek Watt. Use him in more ways than just Derek Watt. Use him as a blocker. Let him set the edge. Let him play fullback in the pistol. Uh, Move him around. Let him block on obvious passing downs. Just, you know, use his versatility a little bit here. And so when you're even just taking that into account, just erase the blocking, erase the, the receiving, and you just go by what they did in college, Bobby Holly still wins here. And that's kind of the thing here is I don't see any ideal situation for Gabe Neighbors here. So I don't know. I think putting Gabe Neighbors and switching him to fullback is going to hurt Neighbors in the long term. I think they probably should have left him at tight end. I think he would have had a better chance of making an impact in training yeah. camp that, that way. But obviously we don't know yet. So I just I yeah. just can't see it. I think the comfort, Bobby Holly's going to be a lot more comfortable in that offensive scheme right off the bat. And I think he's a better blocker. I think he's just a better football player. I think he's better athlete so it's gonna it's gonna be tough for me to vote for anybody other than bobby holly i think bobby holly yeah. probably has the best chance of making the roster out of any udfa here that's what i was gonna ask yep oh i mean so much of this really depends on if they want a fullback anymore which i think that they should you know and you know jason mentioned the pistol thing and and so much of what louisiana tech was running was outside zone and that's what the Chargers want to do and that's what bobby holly is experienced in it's just like Jason is mentioning here. Neighbors doesn't really do anything particularly well, but Bobby Holly is an elite blocker. So sign me up, and he can do other different things. And you know he's a tenacious runner as well. So tenacious is the word of the day, apparently for me. <laughs> um, I just if you're gonna have a fullback, it should be Bobby Holly. Um, the running back from Tulane, um, Darius Bradwell. He obviously is the most natural runner if he is playing fullback he's obviously the most natural runner but i didn't see much of him blocking and when i did i didn't like it like in blitz pickup he's not very good and obviously he didn't do traditional fullback things they did do some their quarterback was pretty mobile so they did do some like zone read where they would get him out blocking and he's okay at it but i just think that transition from 
running back to fullback would be really tough, especially in a shortened offseason. So for me, if you're keeping a fullback, the choice is easy. It's Bobby Holly, and the other two are – I just don't get it. I will say Darius Bradwell could make the roster as a runner. I actually like him as a runner. Um, as a fullback, not so much. And one thing to <laughs> – you know, I, every time I think of Darius Bradwell, all I can think about is the quarterback he played with because there was one play where the quarterback had this juke where he, like, jumped up in the air and went limp. <laughs> I don't know if Wait, either what? of you saw that. He jumped up in the yeah, air. Yeah, he did it a couple times. And he yeah. would go limp. And then he'd do, like, a Super Mario <laughs> jump juke. And it was just the most hilarious gotcha. thing I've ever seen in my life. So um, oh, I want to know who Tom was like. The announcer loved it. It's like, oh, there he goes with a jump cut, and like, that's not really a jump cut. That's really more. This is a super jump jump cut. (laughs) This is a super jump cut. He like played possum in midair. It was it was brilliant. (laughs) Uh, I uh, I was surprised that they didn't add any other actual running backs though, because you have Eckler. Traditionally, you have five running backs on in the preseason. So unless they're bringing back Pope or bringing back Dietrich Newsom or something like that, I was a little surprised that they didn't sign a couple. Undrafted free agent running backs. Did Derek Core stick around? Maybe they're uh, maybe they're tying in fullbacks with their running backs going into a pistol offense. Maybe they're tying the position together. Um, maybe you know, kind of a way of like Kyle Uzcheck or uh, Ricard over in uh, Baltimore. But um, just full. But that's what rosters tend to do is they tie in the position group together. So you know, if, based on this, they're rolling into the season with an accumulative I believe eight running backs and fullbacks that's that's enough so that could be that could be what they're rolling with here uh I also know they had a couple of guys I really liked last preseason they had like Derek Gore right who was a really he kind of turned into that fan favorite UDFA towards the end of the season along with Troy Main Pope um who was not a UDFA I just keep thinking he was so um Pope came out of nowhere, okay? It's not my fault. You just kind of no, I make the same mistake every single time I think of Pope. I think he's an undrafted free agent for the Chargers. I think he was an undrafted free agent for the Seahawks, though, if I remember right. Good pull. All right, let's move on to some other undrafted free agents. I only watched two others. That'd be Braden Fajoko, interior defensive lineman at LSU, and Dante Vaughn out of Notre Dame. And my glowing response to all that is... <laughs> <laughs> wow. So if there's anybody else you guys want to talk about, go for it. Floor is yours. So Dante Vaughn, he's Brandon Faison if Brandon Faison couldn't tackle. Oh, jeez. That's that's what I got to say about Dante Vaughn. Uh, so he's a practice dummy. What I will say is that Dante Vaughn shows potential. He just never unlocked it. So he had a problem with undercutting short routes. He had a problem with... Um, do you know that thing Brandon Faison would do where he'd cover the deep ball really well, but then the next play that, rece- that receiver would run a curl and Faison would be like 15 yards downfield in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> and, yeah, it's like reverse Michael Davis. Anybody remember that? Because Dante Vaughn would do that. The difference was, is Brandon Faison, Brand- Brandon Faison? Brandon Faison could not keep up with the speed release. He would get a speed release and he'd kind of get beat on it. He just doesn't have the good lateral movement. Vaughn didn't. Vaughn kept up with it very well. He had really good mirroring technique, really good feet. Um, it's just the second they cut, it was like his, it processed a little slow for him. So I think with Vaughn, I think he just needs a lot of work flipping his hips, becoming a move more, it's um, the best way to put this, a more fluid corner, right? Be more smooth in your transitions. If they run an in route, don't be so jerky with your cut, right? We, 
make it a smooth transition of, uh, of recovering and catching back up to that route. So his pursuit... His pursuit speed is also good. I'm trying really hard to sell Dante Vaughn here. I'm sorry, guys. Uh, I'm digging deep. I made a snoring noise. You don't have to sell him, dude. Um, <laughs> my, my point is here, he shows some potential, and his worst games did come against Nico Collins, and Nico Collins is ridiculously good. So I, I, if they see something there, I kind of see the potential. It just It's going to take a lot to get it out of him. Yeah. I just think in general, you know, I'm not really going to talk about these guys, honestly. I, I don't know if any of them will make the roster because of Michael Davis and Brian Faison. Um, I, I watched them. I think my favorite of the three corners that they signed is Kevin McGill from Eastern Michigan. You didn't like Brandon? Um, I didn't really see much, honestly. Oh, I got to talk about John Brandon. If you go for it, then okay. go for it. I, need to I didn't like him very much. All right. I liked Kevin McGill because I feel like McGill is the best tackler of the bunch. And really, that's what you're looking for out of a UDFA, I feel like, is is better tackler. And, and so Kevin McGill was probably my favorite of the three. So this is the biggest difference between Dante Vaughn and these two being John Brandon the third and Bobby or not Bobby Pelly, sorry, uh, Kevin McGill. Kevin McGill and John Brandon the third can hit. And yeah. they they let their presence be known. They broke on the football very well. So John Brandon the third, he's my favorite out of the two. Uh, he works both slot and outside, which is really good to see, especially when you're looking for these small school prospects that you know you can work with to mold. And versatility is a good thing with these guys because they can go anywhere on the roster and have a chance to make the team, which is all you're asking for from these guys is to be useful in some way of shape or form, whether it's special teams, safety, corner, whatever you can do. Come to our football team, and you do that. He does a really good job of using the sideline to his advantage. Runs wide receivers out of room often on go routes. Uh, he put, puts work in against the run, which I just mentioned. Pinches plays consistently and forces the runner inside. So we're talking about something Trevor Williams did really well. I don't know if you guys remember that, but Trevor Williams would always come out of nowhere off the edge and just like shoelace running backs, and they'd get super frustrated with him all the time. Uh, that's what John Brandon does a lot. Um, he breaks down and makes some pretty good tackles himself, like one-on-one. He'll he'll make some tough tackles. Isn't afraid to shoot through blocks like a missile, whether it's outside on a screen or on outside runs. So you'll see receivers set up the block, and then they'll throw to their slot guy, and then the slot guy dies. That's what Brandon does. Um, seriously likes to hit. Coverage-wise, he needs work on getting his head around it touch sooner on the deep ball and gets a little grabby against corner routes or double moves. And it's to be expected from a small school UDFA though, but it, it, it is there. So it is a problem that they got to iron out. Uh, his level of competition is also pretty bad. Understandably consistently picked on receivers that rounded out their routes. Like these guys would run an out route, like in a circle. It was the worst. Uh, so he picked <laughs> on him. So if he didn't pick on him, I would be concerned, but he did pick on him. So there's something there. Um, so he was definitely a huge step above everybody around him, which is good to see. Um, show some positives with the wingspan. He gets his hand around to bat the ball away, even if the receiver is using their frame well against him, which is a really good thing to see from us from a corner. So I like the potential here with John Brennan, the third. All right. Any other guys you guys want to talk about? Or is that pretty much it for the undrafted free agents? Um, the last one I kind of want to talk about is Jared Rice, the tight end out of Fresno state. Um, a lot of people were a little skeptical of why they would pick up a tight end, but you know, bring some competition in with Donald Parham, and both of those two are receiving tight ends. 
Um, Jared Rice is listed at 6'5", 245. I question legitimately if he's actually 245 pounds because he's a twig. Um, but he has great length, and he is a very fluid route runner. As a as a receiving tight end, I think his 2018 tape, you know, Jason and I both are on the same page here. His 2018 tape is much better because he had a much better quarterback uh, than in 2019. But, you know, they did a lot of things with him, you know, screen game and short routes and stick routes. And um, he's not the most versatile route runner, obviously. But, you know, the things that tight ends do, he can do very well. And like I said, it's just the competition factor between him and Donald Parham. Um, I think they kept a, a couple other tight ends too from last season's practice squad. So the tight end, in, the tight end three battle is going to be really interesting to watch. You know, Donald Parham is gigantic and fast, but you know, he's not super refined. Whereas Jared Rice is a little more nuanced in his route running and obviously a more natural fit because he's played the position longer. Um, but yeah, this is definitely someone that I wouldn't be shocked if he made the roster just because, you know, Hunter Henry has so many injury issues and, if the team does lose him to injury, are they really counting on Donald Parham to be that tight end receiving threat or would it be Jared Rice? So uh, it's definitely an interesting competition for sure. So last one I'll talk about here is TJ Smith out of Arkansas. So Smith is inconsistent on tape. We'll have reps where he gets walked back 10 yards off a failed spin move and has reps where he'll show insane burst and get into the backfield in a hurry. So, being an interior defensive lineman, there's one thing that can make you pop off on tape a lot is explosiveness. And whether or not you're actually a good player, that explosiveness will get you like attention. Fans will love it. So as a run stopper, he needs to read his keys a bit, right? He He's really explosive. He gets in the backfield quick. But as we were talking about with Gaziano earlier, Gaziano understood what was happening and he was very aware and he had a plan. TJ Smith is kind of like, put your head down and like sprint through. Yeah. Sorry, real fast, just because I didn't, I want to, I want to cut in and mention this. I'm sorry to cut you off, but the Chargers are hiring Pep Hamilton as their new quarterbacks coach who serves as a head coach and general manager for the XFL's DC Defenders. I didn't know that. Popper just dropped it. Oh no. What do you think, I guess? Oh no, they're bringing Cardell <laughs> Jones back. That's all I can think <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think it was, I was just reading the same thing. So I think it's a really good hire. Um, you know, he's been around the league a lot and he's been, you know, he was Michigan's assistant head coach for the last couple of years before the XFL situation. Um, but, you know, he's been around a lot of NFL staffs. He's got a lot of experience. And, you know, Popper mentions that because he's been familiar in the college game, that that should help his development with Justin Herbert. Mm. Um, I mean, I don't know a ton about him, but. Popper is making me like him, and I think it was a really good hire. So one thing that we talked about a while ago when the Chargers didn't roll with a quarterback's coach is we said they would probably wait to see who they get. Do they get Cam Newton? Do they get Jordan Love? Do they get Justin Herbert? Do they get Jalen Hurts? Um, And they would kind of base that around who they hired as their quarterback's coach. So I guess this this is the deal here. This is who they've gone with. So maybe this might be something to read into, maybe compare what quarterbacks he's coached in the past, see what their styles are. So this, this could be interesting that it's a good, I think it'll be a good move. I don't know too much about Pepple, Pep, Pepple Hamilton. (laughs) I don't know too much about Pepple Hamilton Hamilton either, but based on them going and finding their guy after getting their quarterback, I assume that he fits what they want. So there's probably some hints in there somewhere. 
Yeah, definitely. And, and as far as Jalen Hurts goes, you don't need a quarterback's coach for him. You need a running back's coach for him, apparently. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, uh, Jason, is there anything else you want to say about that guy? I apologize for cutting you off. Uh, this is just a little bit. Um, basically, the, the Chargers lost Damian Square, and they may get rid of Isaac Rochelle. I mean, he's on that. Would they have the tender he's on the him? Bubble. And I think Rochelle is replaceable, honestly. So if they're looking for somebody to flip between that interior D-line role and that edge role, that that heavy edge they kind of bring in on those heavy packages, I think TJ Smith can be that because he actually shows some edge moves that really shocked me. It really surprised me watching him. Other than that, I think it's pretty it's pretty clean in here. If you want to know more about Romeo Finley, just go watch Rayshon Jenkins. They're like the exact same player. <laughs> uh, exact same player. I think Romeo Finley might make the team as a special teams guy. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was one of the situations where where people get excited about Alohi Gilman, and then all of a sudden Romeo Finley comes in here and just takes his role and then takes off with it. And then there's a couple other guys in here like Asmar Bilal and Cole Christensen. And Bilal is just, he's a run stopper. It's, yeah. That's about it. He He's a big guy who goes on the field, and he has some good impact at the point of attack. But other than that, he's, he doesn't have a very good range, and he doesn't work against the pass at all. So there's not too much here. There's Maybe a guy surprises us here and there, but I think we've hit all the important players here that I believe are going to have a chance to make the roster. I could maybe see Dalton Schoen making it. Uh, maybe over Andre Patton, we'll see. But, I mean, Andre Patton is such a good blocker that, you know, the team is really going to put a, a good size value on him, I think, and as the wide receiver five or six on this team. So maybe one of the receivers surprise us. You know, generally speaking, there's always one that does well in the preseason. But I'd be pretty surprised if they cut Andre Patton or kept six or seven receivers. So we'll see. But definitely the ones that I think have the best chance of making the roster are Joe Gaziano and Bobby Holly. For me, it's going to be Bobby Holly, Brandon the third, and Lemonier. Even though I really like Gaziano and also think he could make it. All right, I guess we'll find out. Let's transition now into Steven's interview with OC Register's Gilbert Manzano. Excited to have him on. Take a listen. All right, Chargers fans, we got a big one here for you today. I'm so happy to be joined by the OC Register's Gilbert Manzano. Uh, how are you doing today, Gilbert? Uh, I'm doing well. I, I know it's been a couple of days since the NFL draft, but I'm recovering and I'm and I'm ready for the, this 2020 season that feels like it's going to take forever to come uh, come around around the corner. But I'm recharged and I'm ready to go. Yeah, for sure. You know, it definitely was a crazy weekend, but it was just really nice to sit down and have some sports for once. You know, with everything being canceled, it was it was just a nice change of pace for sure. Yeah, no, no definitely. I, it, it's been about two months since we had any type of live sports. So to to have the NFL have this three-day draft felt kind of nice for for, uh, for, for sports fans. And the way they pulled it off, it, it was great. The, the NFL uh, did a, a nice job with that. I thought it was going to be some hiccups here and there. Uh, somebody's uh, Wi-Fi would go down at the wrong time. But so far, uh, I guess uh, everybody got their picks in time. Yeah, I was really impressed with how the NFL handled things and I know Tom Telesco mentioned that they had a little glitch in the seventh round, but it seemed for the most part that everything went off went off fairly well. Yeah, unless the Chargers were trying to pick an op- offensive tackle and they, they, they missed the vote there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. We'll definitely touch on that more on later. But just 
you know, the first round was, I think, you know, Justin Herbert was, was pretty predictable at that point as soon as Tua was a choice. But, you know, the trade for Kenneth Murray was really shocking. And we had our own Zoom draft party going on and we were all like, wait, they're back on the clock. Like, what is happening? <laughs> uh, so if you could just kind of give your first reactions and, and thoughts about both the Herbert pick and trading up for Kenneth Murray. Yeah, once uh, the Chargers uh, didn't trade up to get a quarterback when, when they stood uh, stood at number six and they got Justin Herbert, I thought, okay, it's going to be the usual Tom Telesco draft. He's going he's gonna to stay at his picks and get his seven picks where they were. Uh, and, and then, you know, I was actually getting ready to file my Justin Herbert story. And then out of nowhere, I, I see like a, an, an alert. Uh, the Chargers are back in the first round. I'm like, oh, oh, this has to be for an offensive tackle. Yeah. Uh, so then to go to Kenneth Murray, the linebacker, that really surprised me. So maybe coming back into the first round wasn't as shocking, but going for Kenneth Murray was a little surprising because, you know, I know linebacker was kind of a need, but not that big of a need. Uh, so for them, they must have been really high on Kenneth Murray. He must have been uh, one of their top available players on their board. Maybe they were afraid he wasn't going to be there in the second round. Uh, but, you know, for them, they felt that was who they wanted and they went up to get him. Yeah, it was definitely something of, of a surprise. You know, looking at Kenneth Murray's film, I was I was really happy with the pick. I think this has been the the missing piece for the Chargers is just having an uber athletic, you know, guy that can shoot the gaps and just make tons of plays in space. So I think he's going to be a, a great addition to this defense. Yeah, I know linebackers are kind of getting forgotten nowadays, especially with all you know these these nickel corners and dime packages, six six DBs and all that. So right. you usually have maybe two linebackers at a time. Uh, so you felt like maybe they were okay with Drew Tranquil, uh, Denzel Perriman, Kaiser White. They have guy there, guys there. Uh, but last year, linebacker, they didn't get much production. I know Thomas Davis uh, racked up the tackles there. But other than getting the tackles, there wasn't any playmaking. There wasn't any rushing the quarterback on, on, on a third down situations. Uh, and they were last in takeaways. They probably saw that. Yeah. I know – Anthony Lynn probably hated that and Gus Bradley as well. So seeing 14 takeaways from this Chargers roster, I know Derwin James wasn't around, but also just to have a fallback plan. If Derwin James is not around, who's, who are you going to rely to give you those takeaways? So why not bring another versatile playmaker, a, a guy who could play outside, inside, has speed, athletic, just in case, you know, Derwin James is not around. But I know for Chargers fans, they want him to be there all 16 games, but now you have something to kind of fall back on. Yeah, that's a great point. I hadn't really, you know, thought of that. And and just the athleticism and speed, I feel like, was a clear theme of this draft for the Chargers. You know, you, obviously, uh, Kenneth Murray, but Justin Herbert is a good athlete. Joe Reed's a really good athlete. Joshua Kelly's a good athlete. Did you kind of get that sense of the theme of speed and athleticism from this team? Yeah, I, I think uh, for me, what I took away, these were guys that kind of fit the new system. We, as you guys could probably tell, we're shifting away from the tra traditional pass first uh, uh, scheme that we kind of got used to with Phillip Rivers for the last 14 years. This is going to be kind of a, a run first offense, uh, RPOs, zone reads, everything you're seeing the Niners do, uh, the Ravens do with Lamar Jackson. I think that's what Anthony Lane wants to do. So you, he brings in the, the athletic guys, the speed guys, the gadget guys like Joe Reed. Joe Reed, uh, I, I know he's fast, but uh, I think they're going to use him a lot, you know, kind of as a running back behind the line of scrimmage, uh, jet sweeps, all that kind of stuff there. Uh, so, and not even just getting the gadget guys, you could bring in a polished route runner like KJ Hill yeah. uh, from Ohio State to kind of pair with Keenan Allen because it, this offense is going to start moving pretty fast, I think. So, you need guys that get open pretty fast. Uh, so, you're going to do all the 
I guess the, the jet sweeps and motions that kind of confuse the defense. But at times you're going to just you're going to let it, let it rip for five yards, and KJ Hill's going to be open. Yeah, the fact that they were able to get him in the seventh round was was pretty outstanding. And, and honestly, we you know we were sitting there uh, watching the draft on, on Saturday, and after Joshua Kelly was like, "All right, in the fifth round, like I'd be okay with KJ Hill." And then the sixth round, all right, I'd be okay with KJ Hill. And then finally in the seventh round, it was like KJ Hill. So it was just really exciting to see that pick finally come across. Yeah, I was surprised as well. I know he was maybe uh, one of the top wide receivers. It felt like this, there was like at least 30 wide receivers that were very talented in this draft. But uh, from all the draft experts, he was maybe a top 15 wide receiver. And for him to be there in the seventh round, uh, I know the Chargers had fun with it on Twitter. You know, he, he was a steal yeah. uh, to, to get him at the seventh round as the last pick. I'm sure they were very thrilled. And and I'm kind of surprised why he fell. I know people are saying he's not that fast or athletic, but when you got route runners, guys who get open, you always find a spot for them on your roster. And to, and I know Keenan Allen plays a lot a lot of slot right receiver, but he moves around. He's also an outside yeah. guy. Uh, you, you you bring in those three wide receiver sets, and you can move Keenan and Micah on the outside. You put in KJ Hill as a slot receiver, you're ready to go. Yeah, there's a lot of versatility they can do there, and obviously you know add in Joe Reed. Uh, but we mentioned earlier the offensive line. Um, you know, I, I know Daniel Popper mentioned on your guys' roundtable that you know he was really concerned that they are not necessarily really concerned, but he mentioned some concern over not taking an offensive lineman. Um, do you see, do you share that same concern and where do you see this offensive line, specifically the left tackle going forward? <laughs> Daniel Popper is my guy, but he, he kind of, <laughs> he, he kind of freaks out a little more than I do. So I'm not as concerned, but he, as, but I was also telling myself a year ago, uh, maybe it's not going to be a problem and it was a problem. So uh, may, maybe, it's, uh, somewhere in the, in the middle between me and Popper is a level of concern there for the, for the offensive line. But we, we were forgetting already that they, they revamped it with the right side. It's going to be a very good right side with Trey yeah. Turner and Brian Bulaga. And just from what I've been hearing and talking to people, it seems like Mike Pouncey is ready to go at center. So if he's the same Mike Pouncey, now you got three guys who are, who are former pro bowlers or or at least been productive in their careers. Uh, I know the left tackle position is going to be shaky. And I know we're concerned about it, but the Chargers front office didn't seem to concern about it. So that tells me. Uh, a couple things. Uh, they they're really they're very they're very high on Trey Pipkin, Trey Pipkins. They spent a third round pick on him a year ago. I know he's supposed to be a project guy, but for them to kind of you know not say not to say forget about left tackle, but kind of shove it down the priority order. That means they're very high on Trey Pipkins, and they probably feel he's ready to at least take that next step to be an everyday starter. I guess not maybe not to be a Pro Bowl type, but at least to be uh, reliable. Uh, unless they have another another plan where they go out and, and maybe sign a veteran like Jason Peters. I know people all everybody wants Jason Peters, but we, we, we got to keep in mind he's also about I think he's about to be 39 years old or he's 38, has injuries. So, and also we can't, you know, guys can't work out. So you can't really see the veterans right now. So I think the Chargers are kind of waiting to see about that. Uh, but the other thing I keep thinking, if this if this they're gonna if they're gonna be a run first offense. You don't need to hold a pocket for too long. They're probably just gonna run to the right side a lot and kind of avoid the left side. Uh, and Trey Pipkins is pretty athletic to kind of also work into the, the zone blocking. So if they're gonna be a read a, a read pass kind of team, uh, I don't think you need to hold you need to hold the pocket for too long. So that's probably what they're thinking. But also they might be kind of underestimating the value of left tackle. Also, yeah, I think you totally hit the nail on the head there. Um, Trey Pipkins, you know, I, I thought he played very well in the actual starts that he did. I think, you know, when he came in 
midway through the game in Oakland. I think that was obviously a bit of a struggle, but I thought the games against Kansas City and the last game against Oakland, I thought he played pretty well. Yeah, I think so too. I know part of it is also Philip Rivers being the guy that he is who gets the ball out of his hands very quick, quickly and accurate. Uh, but Trey Pipkins is very athletic. Uh, obviously, every every guy's going to get beat every now and then. I know the the, the ones that stood out was the Frank Clark sacks and the KC game in Mexico City. But after that, it, you don't hear too much of you know Trey getting beat often. So that kind of shows you that he's progressing. And I just keep I just keep going back to they spent a third round pick. You can't just that's still a valuable pick. You can't just give up on a guy after uh, one season. I know people say maybe he's not ready. Maybe you could use that third round pick after year three. Uh, but at, at some point in time, you gotta get these you gotta let these guys play. Uh, and sometimes some of these picks don't pan out. I know people are still waiting on Forrest Lamp to kind of pan out being in second round yeah. pick in 2017. But he just he's never available. Trey Pipkins at least has, and he's kind of you know I guess. Uh, meet met expectations at least for the Chargers front office. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that you bring up Forrest Lamp because you know uh, Shane Steichen today in his conference. I know you weren't there, but you know he mentioned the options at left tackle and left guard. Um, you know, there's Forrest Lamp and Sam Tevy, and then obviously you have Dan Feeney at who can play center and guard, and and Scott Questenberry. So at the left guard, how do you see it shaking out? Because Dan Feeney has been so available and reliable. Do you think that he would do anything that would you know, make him lose his job to Forrest Lamp or, or Scott Questenberry potentially? You know, first of all, I'm not really buying the whole Forrest Lamp experiment, the left tackle. Okay. Because they've kind of mentioned, they've mentioned 20 names out there. They just, I, I think they want people <laughs> to to not freak out. Like, hey, we got this guy and that guy and that guy and also Forrest Lamp. So I think they kind of just threw out the names there. They even mentioned Brian Bulaga going from right to left. And I'm not buying that either. He's a guy who's been productive at right for his entire career. Why, why move him? Uh, I think it's just, it's just their way of kind of telling people, relax, we we have a guy in mind, but we'll give you 20 names. So I go back to the left guard spot where maybe Forrest Lamp could finally win that job uh, and, and stay healthy. Uh, he, the thing that kind of surprised me a year ago, he didn't win the job. They gave it to Dan Feeney. They felt Dan Feeney was a guy who was ready to be the left guard again. Uh, and, and maybe that's kind of just they wanted to keep what they had in 2018 going, where he was very productive in between Russell Kung and Mike Pouncey. And maybe that's why he started uh, 2019 at left guard. But you could tell there were some flashes at Forest Lamp when he played Forest Lamp, when which is you know also not a very telling sign. They were forced to put him in left guard because Mike Pouncey got hurt. So yeah. I, I don't know how much that says too. But when he was in there, he he showed potential. He he looked very productive. And then of course he got he got hurt again in the Tennessee game. So that for him it, it's just it's just been a struggle. So hopefully he stays healthy and he he, he could be productive at a, a, a left guard, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they give him a shot at left tackle and they want Dan Feeney uh, at a left guard. I just don't see it. I feel like they want to try Trey there. They drafted Trey to be a, a left tackle. Uh, they haven't tried him that much at right tackle, so I think they're, they're trying to at least groom Trey to be the guy at left. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And you know, the other day, I was actually looking at Forrest Lamp's draft profile, and you know, everybody back then was saying how much of a steal it was, but obviously it hasn't worked out. Um, the other guy that's had kind of some health issues so far in his Chargers career is Justin Jackson. And obviously they drafted Joshua Kelly this week. I really like Joshua Kelly. The fourth round was, was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a interesting choice there, but you know, I'm really happy about the player. How do you see that backup running back spot working out this year for this team? 
Yeah, I know a lot of people were kind of surprised with the fourth round pick of Joshua Kelly. I, I wasn't too surprised because I, I know the type of running backs that Anthony Lynn, Anthony Lynn wants. He wants a, a, a big body bruising running back. That's why when, when Melvin Gordon held out and he came back, he was the immediate starter because that's the type of running back that Anthony Lynn likes. Uh, he likes point. a bruiser. He relies on the, on the big body. And also, you know, you, you mix it in with the versatility of an Austin Eckler. Uh, but going back to Justin Jackson, another reason why I thought it, I, I didn't, wasn't surprised. He just hasn't been healthy. He hasn't been available. Yeah. Uh, he's shown flashes in what was it, 2018 in that Pittsburgh game. That was a great game for him. Uh, and then 2019, he started off pretty hot and then he got hurt. Uh, so he hasn't been reliable. He also was hurt in his rookie year. Now I think about it. Uh, that's why he was kind of so late into the process. Uh, so you've had two years to kind of to show if you're going to be available or not. So you probably can't take the hits as well. And to have two smaller guys in Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, probably didn't sit well with Anthony Lynn. And Anthony Lynn said he was antsy about not getting Joshua Kelly. He was trying to get him on day two, but they traded those picks for Kenneth Murray. So he was hoping that it would be there in the fourth round. So that kind of tells me that that Anthony Lynn is all in on being the smash mouth, old school kind of runner for his football team. So he got his guy. And it wouldn't surprise me if Joshua Kelly is the second guy in that backfield behind Austin Eckler. Yeah, you mentioned that balancing. That's something that Anthony Lynn has been fighting for his whole time here in, in Los Angeles. Um, we're going to get you out on here on this last question. I know a lot of Chargers fans have been really uh, curious to see what the plan for Desmond King is. You know, a lot of people have mentioned that he was a possible trade candidate before the draft. Um, how do you see the team using him going forward? And do you think that they would be able to move on from him if he doesn't pan, if he doesn't return to form this upcoming season? Yeah, I know uh, Desmond King has kind of been in the trade rumors, and, and it, it kind of makes sense because you you sign the guy to kind of play what play a position that he does in Chris Harris Jr. as a, the nickel cornerback there. Uh, but after getting through the draft, uh, not trading for Trent Williams, I feel like Desmond King is going to be around in, in 2020. Uh, I don't know about the future for Desmond King because he's going to be a free agent. I don't know if they can make it work with paying him because he got to pay so many other guys. Yeah. Uh, but I think Gus Bradley is probably very excited to kind of get these two former all pros, uh, Chris Harris and Desmond King, to kind of get them on the same page to play on the field together. I I, I know people are saying, well, who's going to be the, the nickel corner? I, I'm, I'm more worried about the rotations, uh, the playmakers, I think they're going to get them on the field, and that's going to be pretty exciting where you could maybe have Desmond be more at the line of scrimmage to be a, a, a pass rusher, and he's very good at that. I know people kind of forget that that part of his game. I know people consider him the all-pro uh, slot cornerback, but he's a good pass rusher. And then also you could rotate Chris Harris from inside and outside. He's used to that. And also another thing that kind of gave me a clue was Chris Harris kept saying, uh, we're going to change the scheme a little bit. I know he's not the big coordinator, but he kept saying, we're not going to be so vanilla. We're not going to be so predictable. So that kind of tells me Desmond and Chris are going to be all over the field at multiple positions. Yeah, that I kind of got that as well. I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, so everybody's chasing the Chiefs right now, You know, every, especially those in the division. Do you feel like the Chargers have done a good enough job this offseason to close that gap in in terms of the division race you know what's funny a lot of people were saying oh the Chargers are, are, are a good team now they have a top five defense they're, they're going to be a sleeper and then after the draft people are kind of getting used to the idea of, of them being led by Tyrod Taylor and now people have kind of left the bandwagon saying oh the Chargers <laughs> they won't be a playoff team we've seen Tyrod 
Uh, so that could be motivation for the Chargers, but it's still the same roster. It's, same, it's still the same star-studded defense with Joey Bosa and Derwin James. Uh, you add some pieces on on offense, and and I know people are worried about Tyrod Taylor, but you know I think it's going to be a good team. I think it's a team that could contend for the playoffs. But it's that AFC West got very got got very competitive in the draft. Uh, I like what yeah. the Broncos. I like what the Broncos did in the draft. I like what the Raiders did too. Uh, so I, I think for sure you got the Chiefs number one, and then you're gonna have a good battle between the Broncos and the Chargers for two for for number two. But don't forget, I, I know people like Drew Locke a lot, but he's going into year two. We got to see that sometimes you get those guys that have do pretty well as a rookie, and and people adjust to them like a Baker Mayfield, and they don't do too well in year two. So they got their own quarterback issues too. So maybe on, on that sense, I give the veteran Tyrod Taylor the nod and put the Chargers at number two right now. Good stuff, Gilbert. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, obviously we hope you and your family are well and continue to stay well throughout the rest of this pandemic that hopefully ends relatively soon. And thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. I appreciate the time. Uh, so one of the things I want to talk about from that interview and appreciate again, Gilbert from coming on are the offensive line updates. Now he was a little bit more surprised. I believe that the charges did not take a left tackle at all. Um, that didn't really surprise any of the three of us, at least after the sixth pick. Once Thomas was gone, they took Herbert. I didn't think at that point they were going to take another one. Um, But he right now has the line looking like Trey Pipkins, Dan Feeney. And he says Mike Pouncey is pretty much being close to being cleared to come back. So Mike Pouncey, and then, of course, Trey Turner and Brian Balaga behind them in the same, I guess, positions. Norton, Lamp, Questenberry, I guess Trent Scott, maybe. And then Sam Tevy. So not the worst thing ever. I'm a little... I guess bummed that they didn't take an interior offensive lineman just because Feeney, Pouncey, Tevy, Scott, and Lamp are all in need of a contract next year. So I, I was, kind of would have hoped Campin would have a guy to develop when those. When I'm sure Feeney is the only guy who's coming back. Maybe Lamp, maybe Pouncey. I guess we'll see. I don't know, but it sounds like they're really gonna. They might just go with you know Feeney or, or Questenberry moving forward. Um, so what do you guys think of the offensive line as a whole? To me, it's not much of a surprise, honestly. Um, so what do you guys think? Yeah, it was uh, an interesting conversation to have because, you know, everybody thought that they were going to take a tackle or at least, you know, an interior offensive lineman. We certainly thought that they would take an interior offensive lineman. We had them, you know, taking one in all of our mocks, and we mentioned it quite a few times. Um, it was just really surprising. But like he mentioned, the team spent a third-round pick on Trey Pipkins, and they want to see what he can do. Um, you know, I, I can't fault them for that. You know, I thought that he played very well in his two actual starts against the Chiefs in Mexico City and the last game against Oakland. I believe that he can develop. I would have just liked to see an upgrade at depth because I'm kind of over the whole Trent Scott, Sam Tevy situation. You know, I, I haven't looked too much into Storm Norton, so maybe he's that upgrade over them that, that I want. But, yeah, I was just really hoping for some depth. And like you mentioned, the interior depth as well. You know, Forrest Lamp, you know, I put a Twitter poll up if he was maybe an option for left tackle and he still got the second most votes, which, you know, he's always going to be an intriguing option for the Chargers. And I'm sure that the skill set is very tantalizing, but he's just never on the field. And when he did get on the field, he got hurt like three games later. So I really wish that it would have panned out, but it just hasn't yet. So I really would have liked to see some competition brought in at least at one of those positions, but you know, I was just talking to this with some of my other friends, and with Balaga and Trey Turner, that's an immediate upgrade on the offensive line. 
And Gilbert talked about that as well. So, yeah, sure, they'll have a developmental left tackle, but the right side is going to be so much better than it ever has been that, you know, it kind of offsets that fact. And, you know, it'll just be really interesting to see. Maybe they do bring in a Jason Peters or, or Kelvin Beecham is still a free agent too. So, But they believe in Trey Pipkins, and that was very clear from the draft. I'm just going to say this again one more time. I know 2019 is over, but I'm going to say this one more time. I know I said I would never say it again, but here I am. I still don't think the Chargers line was as bad as people thought it was in 2019. I still don't think it was. Uh, I think, and this is kind of a bad word because he's gone now, but I think it was Philip Rivers' fault a lot more times than it wasn't that he would get sacked. There were plays, and I, I, I showed people on film, and um, he would just walk into pressure, like all the time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not even saying this as like, oh, well, every once in a while he would walk in. And I'm, I'm not saying that the tackles were good. The tackles sucked. I just don't think it was as bad as people think. Yeah, um, no, I get that. And, it, you know, you always get that excuse for Philip Rivers of, well, you know, if his right tackle fails, he's, he doesn't have time to step up. Well, that doesn't make sense, but we'll ignore that. Um, <laughs> it's just... And no, Chris, I totally get what you're saying. Chris Harrison agreed with me in this part that it, the line just wasn't as bad as people think. What I will say, though, is I feel a lot more comfortable heading into this year about the offensive line, okay. uh, especially with Bulaga and Turner on the right side. And then if Pouncey is healthy, I'm... Either Pouncey or Questenberry. It doesn't matter if Pouncey is healthy or not. I'm comfortable at center, 100%. A center is like the only mm-hmm. position on the offensive line prior to getting Bulaga and Turner. That was like... That was... You're good. Yeah, you're fine. So there might there might even be competition at left guard with Questenberry and Feeney. We just don't know. Because the, the excuse so far... I don't know if it's excuse or real. I think it's real based on what Chris Harrison has told us before. Being that chemistry... You don't want to mess with that chemistry. And yeah. that's been their thing yep. the whole time is we don't want to mess up the chemistry off of the offensive line with Russell Okung, Sam Tevy, uh, Michael Schofield. Well, those guys are like all of them are gone now. Uh, I mean, Sam Tevy is still on the roster, but he's not a starter, or hopefully, that we that we know <laughs> of. So it's at this point, you're playing your best players, regardless of chemistry, because chemistry is not a factor yeah. anymore. It's not. You're This is a clean slate. Chemistry has no play in it. So if Lamp is better than Feeney in training camp, if there's training camp, Lamp is going to start. That's just my take on it. Uh, so if Lamp is not the starter come come September, then there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. Yeah. He didn't win. So if if Pipkins is the starter at left tackle over, then we know he, he won over Lamp. If Dan Feeney is the starter at left guard, he won over Lamp. So at this point, this is the first offseason where we can say, a, like, as a matter of fact, not as a matter of fact, but that Lamp did not win the job and that he doesn't deserve that job. Because so far, chemistry has been the excuse. It's not an excuse this year. Yeah, Gilbert mentioned that as well because they wanted to run it back, so to speak, from 2018 with the offensive line. But it's just very similar to you know, the conversation that was surrounding Tua and Herbert. If, the, if they're relatively close as players... Coaches are going to take that person that is reliable and doesn't have the health question marks. And that's just really what it's going to come down to, in my opinion. You know, Dan Feeney hasn't missed a game, I don't think. Um, you know, knock on wood, I hope he continues that trend. 
But if they're if the coaching staff views them as relatively close at all, it's going to be Dan Feeney, and that's what Gilbert hinted at is that he's been so reliable and you know he's done everything the coaching staff has asked. He switched to center for a little bit, then he went back to left guard. So I really like I mentioned I I really am sad that the Forest Lamp thing hasn't worked out. I kind of hate that they're going to make him compete at left tackle or supposedly and maybe not give him a full chance at left guard. Gilbert doesn't really buy that. He thinks that it's just was them throwing out names, which he said a couple times. But, you know, this is Forrest Lamp's last shot. And maybe he signs another contract after this. But if he can't beat out Dan Feeney this year, then he's probably not ever going to start in the NFL, which is sad. But, you know, that's just the reality of his health situation. If he could stay healthy, you know, that'd be a totally different thing. But that's the conversation that we have always had about Forrest Lamp is he cannot stay healthy. Or he'll go to Seattle and become a pro bowler. <laughs> or Baltimore. Yeah. Patriots. Uh, so what do you guys think they'll do in the preseason? I think this is an interesting preseason because last time Lynn held out the veterans, switched it up a little bit with Feeney at center, Lamp at guard. But now you have guys, I'm not saying Turner and Bulaga are old, but they're they're, you know, veterans, I guess, at least compared to... Turner's 27, like right? Lamp. Yeah, or 28 or something gotcha. like that. He's pretty young. He's, he's, he's well, youngish. So what do you think they do? Because I know um, maybe Lynn changes his mind. I don't know. But not only do you have new guys off on your offensive line, but you don't you probably aren't going to have much of an offseason to begin with to get these guys yeah, together. That's a good point. So do you think he pulls them or do you think he puts them in? Uh, I don't know. I mean, certainly health didn't work out last season and I don't know if he thinks at least if Anthony Lynn thinks that holding people out of the preseason didn't really help with that or whatnot um so what do you guys think they do there well this is this the year that they start the three preseason games or is that next year it's a good question I have no yeah, idea sure. well either way I think that they're gonna have to play more because I mean the best case scenario here at least for the Chargers in California is that they get training camp and, you know, I don't think that there's going to be mini camp. I don't think that there's going to be rookie mini camp or any of that stuff. So I think the Chargers are going to have a few weeks of practice. And if they like what they see, then maybe they hold the veterans out again. I certainly don't think that Pelaga has to play. Um, mm-hmm. Trey Turner, maybe just because they don't, you know, they don't want to sacrifice the, the entire good side of the offensive line. <laughs> um, but I think people are going to play veterans a lot more, especially you know, teams that are switching schemes like the Chargers are or, you know, starting a new quarterback or, or whatever the case may be. So I think we're going to see a lot more veterans play in preseason than normal. I don't think that they're going to play every single snap, but maybe they play the first half of the first couple games and then they play the entire third like normal. But I think they probably should play veterans more than they're used to just because it's going to be a new scheme. We're going to have at least four new starters up front on the offensive line. Chemistry is so important. You know, Chris Harrison mentioned that several times in our interview with him. So I think they should play them more than normal. Um, okay, the only other thing I want to talk about from this interview is closing the gap with the Kansas City Chiefs because, I mean, listen, it wasn't good for the Chargers in any AFC West game last year, but they've historically, since well, at least since Andy Reid uh, became head coach of the Chiefs, have not been able to win against the Chiefs. Here's the thing about closing the gap against the Chiefs, and I'm just curious if you guys feel the same way. Um, I'm not really scared of the Chiefs, to be completely honest. At least in the last couple of years, I would have picked the Chargers every single time to win, and especially more now, um, considering the rosters. Like, I get it. They have Andy Reid and they have Patrick Mahomes, and that's 
That's terrifying. They won a Super Bowl. There's they're they're to be respected and whatnot. But you look at Mahomes. I know stats aren't everything. You know, two hundred forty three yards, two touchdowns. 182 yards, a touchdown interception. 174 yards, a touchdown interception. You know, this, this this Chiefs team on offense has only scored 28, 24, and 24 points their last three games. I just think that the gap, there's not even much of a gap, but could you be completely honest, I would be more scared of the Broncos this season than the Chiefs. Not because I think the Broncos are a better team. I just think the Chargers play the Chiefs really, really well. We finally saw... What, Travis Kelsey get his first touchdown in like six years with the Chiefs against the Chargers. You know, Tyreek Hill's last three games is 107 total yards, or at least, or excuse me, receiving yards. So, I don't know, I'm not really too scared of them. What do you, what do you guys make of that? I mean, are you guys still, I mean, how do you, how do they, how do they beat the Chiefs? How close are they? Give your thoughts. Chiefs are garbage. A- <laughs> <laughs> I think in a matchup, like you're saying, the Chargers can definitely keep it close. And, you know, they've shown that ability to limit their offense with the type of defensive scheme that they run. And now they add in Kenneth Murray and Derwin James is healthy. But I think it's just over the course of a season, I know that the Chiefs are going to win at least 11 games next year. Probably mm-hmm. a lot more because they added an upgraded running back situation with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, but like you said, the Chargers have kind of struggled against the Broncos, specifically in Denver. And now the Broncos have added an entire track team on their offense. So it'll be really interesting. I think the Raiders probably are the worst team in this division next year, but I think they probably win seven games. So yeah. I think the division is going to be really tough. Thankfully, the Chargers non, uh, non-division non games are not super difficult. You know, they play the Buccaneers, which will be really fun to watch. Um, but as far as closing the gap against the Chiefs, I still think the Chiefs probably get the one or two seed. I think the Chiefs win the division. But I think the Chargers individually matching up against the Chiefs can definitely make it interesting in those games. And last year, Phil Rivers threw seven interceptions against them, and they still almost won both of the games. So Tyrell Taylor's not throwing seven interceptions against those two. <laughs> so that'll be that'll be interesting to watch too. Yeah, I think we'll be fine. That's all I got to say. Nice. That's great. Well, seriously, though, I mean, the, the Chargers, they have everything to beat. Like, the fact that they beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead without Keenan Allen and Austin Eckler, and yeah. then they nearly beat them in Mexico City without, you know, Derwin James, Adrian Phillips, and a lot of other pieces. I don't know. I just think they're really close. And I'm I'm, I'm just really curious. I think I think the Chargers will do just fine with Tyrod Taylor. I don't know about Justin Herbert, but I think they'll do just fine with Tyrod Taylor early on. It's simple. Tyrod Taylor or Patrick Mahomes? I'm taking Tyrod. All right. <laughs> Jeez. Look, Tyrod said he wanted to be talked about in the, with, in the same sentence as guys like Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. So we're doing it. Come on, Tyrod. Show us what you got. I wish we played Chiefs week one again. I really do. I think Tyrod is – no, I'm still doing Patrick Mahomes. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league right now. Um, I just think overall on the Chargers roster, they upgraded in so many spots. Right tackle, right guard, yep. nose tackle, linebacker, Derwin's back, receivers are better, running backs are better. Yes, I, and I think, honestly, I do think Joshua Kelly will be better than Melvin Gordon. Um, but yeah, I, I just think this team upgraded so many different positions, and they did so massively. Like Going from Sam Tevy is a huge leap forward. 
going from Linval Joseph or going from Brandon Meebane to Linval Joseph is a huge leap forward. I really like Thomas Davis. I think, you know, he did his job. But going from him to Kenneth Murray is a big-time upgrade, especially in the athleticism department. So you limit the turnovers. You know, you keep things close. Maybe you go six and four in, in one position games instead of two and six. And, you know, you're right in the playoff hunt. So, you know, all three of us believe in Tyrod and all three of us think that this team can make a run in the playoffs. And and honestly, like, Tyrod Taylor is going to surprise a lot of people. And I know that there's going to be this temptation to play Justin Herbert. But unless the Chargers are 100% out of the playoffs, I think this is Tyrod's team next year. All right, Gilbert Manzano, thank Tyler. you for <laughs> Yes. Yeah, you did for That's okay. I'm editing this time. No. Dang it. Oh, I mean, you can edit if you want to keep it in. No, never mind. You go ahead. Okay. Please keep it. It's tradition. Jeez. <laughs> oh, All right. Thank you, Gilbert Manzano, for joining us, or at least joining Steven, on our podcast. Um, I don't remember what I was going to say, guys. Thanks a lot, Jason. I'm completely <laughs> out of my zone here. <laughs> yes. Uh, you can find me at Stephen I. Haglin and GAC Podcast 17. Please leave us some reviews on whichever platform you listen to us. You can find me at Centauri13 on Twitter. And since people keep telling me that I need to spell it because they've spent weeks trying to find me, S-Y-N-T-A-R-I-1-3. Sorry for having such a terrible at. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon. I thought Jon Snow had a great season 8 arc. No. We'll see you guys no. next time. No. 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 <laughs> Game of Thrones forever. Ugh. <laughs>